Welcome to the Bragworthy Culture Podcast, where leaders share how they've created a company so incredible their employees have to tell their friends about it. And now, here's your host, Jordan Peace. Welcome back to Bragworthy Culture. This is Jordan Peace. Today, we're chatting with Andrew Bartlow. Andrew is the founder and managing partner of Series B Consulting, where he helps businesses articulate their people strategy and accelerate their growth while navigating rapid change. From the rest of your bio, Andrew, I can see that one such rapid change is hyper growth, like in the case of your work with Masterclass and others. So this should be a super interesting episode, people. And and selfishly for me, I want to learn what he has to say as we explore how to build an HR team in a high growth startup. So Andrew, I'm super pumped to have you. Thank you so much for jumping on the podcast today. Hey, thanks a lot, Jordan. Really great to be here. Yeah, awesome. I'm excited. So so, like I said, selfishly, I am helping to lead a high growth startup myself. And we're in a mode of hyper growth and, uh, you know, very much need this type of advice. So I'm very interested. I wanted to start with your book. So you recently co-authored a book called Scaling for Success, People Priorities, for high growth organizations. And if if we use the video content, it's right behind his right shoulder, your left. I'd love to hear about your experience just writing a book. You know, have you written before? And what prompted you to pour 25 years of learning and wisdom into kind of onto a page? Oh boy. Oh my goodness. I, I don't know if I can recommend the authoring process. Um, <laughs> if I if I were to do it all over again, I think I'd go to a cabin in the woods for about 12 weeks. <laughs> Instead, the writing process took me north of 12 months. Wow. Yeah, you know, just really trying to capture the the learnings and the experience of the past 20-something years and distill that into something that I I think and hope will be useful to people. Yeah, and really, it was a bucket list thing for me. I got I got really lucky riding a rocket ship of a real estate tech company that went public on my watch and went through a bunch of M and A, and I had a very tiny piece of that. And so I, I after pulling the parachute, I uh, had the choice and the option of trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do with myself. Yeah. And this was absolutely on my bucket list to. Mm support the high growth community to support other HR leaders and hopefully do something useful for other folks. Yeah. I, I didn't plan to ask you this, but thinking about the book, like what are, what are a few of the chapters in the book? Like how did you take 25 years and even decide on what you would title a chapter when you've got so much broad sort of understanding to share? Yeah, well I, I tried to break it down into the major components okay. of people management for a very niche group, which is high growth, earlier stage organizations. So those tend to be venture backed. They might be PE backed. You know, some bootstrapped organizations can benefit from it as well. But like really what's essential to know as you're growing rapidly, and, and I focus more on the the people management aspects of growth versus how do you market it? You know, what, how do you build your product? There's a lot of complexity on the people front and uh, trying to zero in on what's important when and get past a few of the the anecdotal juicy stories from some big name company by some big name investor. Like what right. really works? I, I wanted it to be useful. Yeah, I, I think that's great. You know, I, I think it's 
it's not as flashy. Like when, when you get interviewed by TechCrunch, when you sell your business for $3 billion, they don't ask yeah. you about your people strategy, <laughs> but, but your people strategy is what allowed the thing to get there in a healthy way, right? Unless it was a really ugly exit, right? Uh, hopefully, right? It was healthy and that company is going to stay intact beyond that that exit or that IPO, right? You know, that's that's an assumption that you know, <laughs> frankly, isn't always true. A, a lot of organizations in the in the high growth community succeed in spite of themselves. Mm. They they may be adapting the uh, you know the, the keeping up with the Joneses or right. some best practice that they heard about from wherever, and they might not actually be applying the the practices and processes that fit them best. Right. But if you have a killer app, you can you can often succeed in spite of yourself. Hmm. The, the audience that I wrote this book for is for those organizations that might be in the tweener stage where hmm. the practices that you adopt and what you do where it still matters. Right. right. Like Google, they they can do they can try all sorts of crazy stuff. <laughs> and yeah. maybe it works really well, maybe it only works okay, and they're gonna do just fine. Right. It's for the you know, the the 99% of organizations where what they do actually matters. Right. <laughs> I like how you put that. What they do actually matters. You you can't buy yourself out of trouble. Well, that's fantastic. So what is it like working with companies like a masterclass, these hyperscaling organizations that, you know, maybe they had a hundred people and now all of a sudden there's a thousand over the course of 18 months. Is there a little bit of kind of deer in the headlights for those leaders or or imposter syndrome? Like it's got to be completely overwhelming to do something so rare and so extreme. I'd just love to hear about your experience with that. Sure. Well, well, yes, yes, and yes. It's it's overwhelming. It's so fast paced, and yes, there's imposter syndrome for lots of the people involved. That said, it's not that rare believe it or not, not that rare in the venture-backed community right. where you have investors that are backing you know, often hundreds of, of different high-growth enterprises. And they're high-growth because they had a bunch of money dumped on them in, in the form of uh, institutional funding. Yeah. So everybody is looking for the playbook. Mm-hmm. Everybody is looking for the silver bullet of, uh, so what do I do now? Just give me the answer. And sadly, and this this is where my book I I hope contributes to the community of knowledge, is that it still requires some critical thinking, mm-hmm. right? There isn't the one play that you can run and you know it's going to work at you know, at Series A in November when you hire your forty second person. You do these three things, right? It it still depends, and so I try to provide some frameworks for thinking and some rough prioritization and sequencing. But you know, sorry, folks, there is no single playbook. And if anybody tells you there is, be really skeptical. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they're selling something, right? Yeah. I know that you also coach and train you know, the folks that directly support and execute a people strategy, right? So you're working with the yeah. leaders and coaching them through their imposter syndrome and their, whatever they're going through, right? But then you've got CPOs and CHROs and, and other folks in the HR space and I know that you do that primarily through uh, the People Leader Accelerator. So I'm, th- I'm thinking just based on who our listeners are and what they're interested in, I really was hoping you would share for several minutes about what that development program looks like, who should apply to it, just any other details, because I think it's very pertinent to this audience. Sure. Great. Yeah. Re- really appreciate that. So the, the book, Scaling for Success, are these you know 
frameworks and the body of knowledge around what really works and right. how do you apply that. And even before the book was in print, it, long process, again, really long process. Right. And I worked with Columbia University Business School Academic Press. They're used to putting out textbooks that have you know a pretty, pretty lengthy lifespan. Mm. Uh, so it was probably three years from first word on the page to getting my copy, which is hanging out behind me on my bookshelf. Wow. So even before the physical copy was available, I partnered with my co-author and another really experienced head of HR. She's uh, Carmela has been the head of HR nine different times at a bunch of high growth companies. Huh. So between the two of us, we have some gray hair and some, some good stories. Yeah. We constructed People Leader Accelerator based on the lessons and the concepts from the book. And People Leader Accelerator is this executive education program, pretty intensive, pretty rigorous, compares favorably, in my opinion, my biased opinion, to some of the exec ed programs from Stanford and Berkeley and some of these others where it's 12 weeks long, it's right. you know 10 hours a week, it's reading, writing assignments, cohort, very small group. And, and it's all about how the human resources leader of one of these high growth enterprises, how they can be successful, how mm-hmm. they can add value. And it's not just taking the order. It's not just executing the thing or hiring the next person faster. It's helping those organizations and those founder CEOs. It's usually founder CEOs that you're working with in in a lot of high growth. What's important now? What should our priorities be? Do we go run the play that you heard about Google running or whatever you read about in HBR over the weekend or the founder dinner that you went to with your VC backers or what's important for us right now? How do you influence your leaders? How do you get down to a manageable list of priorities? Mm-hmm. And that's really the foundation of it. And so your earlier question was like, hey, what are what are the chapters of the book? Right. And it's it's breaking it down into you know, how do you recruit people? How do you structure your organization and org structure? Total rewards, you know, how do you put together an equity plan and incentives that make sense? You know, how do you so on and so forth? And so we have all the all these sub-elements of the people management processes as part of the book and as part of the exec ed program. That makes perfect sense. Do do you think that the voice of HR folks, the CHROs, the CPOs, do you think that their voice is being heard more clearly, more loudly in the executive boardroom than it was, say, two years ago? Is there there progress on that? Short answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Some of the environmental factors really drove that where, you know, COVID, pandemic, work from home, so much emphasis on social equity right. in the workplace and in the broader world. And that resulted in a lot of organizations looking to HR and sometimes legal, give us the answer. Like, how do we deal with this? We've never, we've never encountered it before. And frankly, HR didn't have the answers either, right? We were trying to figure it out at the same time. And, and, and in a lot of ways that was healthy for us and that it reinforced our own community of practice and our own relationships. And it, pushed people to, you know, try to figure it out rather than just running some of the same old plays. So, so yes, HR was heavily leaned on. That said, I think it was an opportunity for a lot of HR leaders that was only partially realized. Mm. So there are the executional and transactional elements of, hey, what do we need to do that's legally compliant? And what, what are the operational processes you need to be aware of? But, but on a, bigger and broader scale, there's a 
huge opportunity around, hey, do we have a worldwide talent pool now? How does that change how we recruit people? How does that change how we pay people? Lots of organizations are starting to sort through that. And, and some HR leaders are doing a great job of stepping up, helping to think through that, spelling out the pros and cons. You know, it's, it's not about just picking the flavor of the month. It's about picking the approach and working really closely with the leadership of your company right. and figure out what makes the most sense for you right now. Right. And so that has to do with your competitive positioning, your profit margins, your cash burn, your stage of growth, like all of that stuff matters. So I, yeah, I, I often get poked around, like, just give me the answer. What, what should I do right now? And <laughs> yeah. like, wow, we, we're going to have to do kind of a lengthy discovery to like work through what does make the right. most sense right now. Yeah. Right, because what you're talking about is strategy. What you're talking about yeah. is thinking about the scenario I'm in and figuring out the right solution, not waiting for orders from another leader and then executing on those orders, which I think, unfortunately, and, and your opinion would weigh more heavy, heavily than mine here, but unfortunately, I think that is the historic role of HR to a degree, and there's nuance there, and there's obviously leaders that are always going to stand out, but you know, it seems so important to me that people leaders that know their employees so well, that survey their employees, that listen to their employees, have an extremely loud voice in that executive boardroom and that the CEO understands just how important it is that they get this right. So it's encouraging to hear that the voice has gotten um, more distinct, but, but discouraging to hear that maybe the opportunity wasn't seized as well as it could have been. Yeah. Well, it's it, again, it's partially realized. And, yeah. and part of that comes from you know, a lot of high growth companies, their leaders haven't all been there, done that. Right. Before, right. Like yeah. you're founder led, lots of people that are sure. technical founders or early in their career, they're entrepreneurial, you know, have don't don't have the family and mortgage to uh, <laughs> enter into their risk equation. And a lot of HR leaders, you, I'm seeing VPs of people or VP of HR, or even called, you know, a, a chief people officer. I'm seeing the, those folks hired earlier, mm, um, often good. with the first in, in institutional investment, you know, call it series A, Right. you might have 50-ish people and you're bringing on board a, a VP or a senior director or a head of people, head of HR. And that's great. That said, most of those folks that are hired into those roles, I'm mentoring lots of folks like them because okay. they're still early career. Right. It's often their first job at the top of a function. And, and frankly, I'd, I'd suggest being the head of HR for an early stage founder-led organization is a heck of a lot more challenging than being the head of HR for some Fortune 500 company mm. with a lot of stability, a lot of maturity. You're just tightening the bolts and you know, you're, right. you're running the, the machine that somebody else has built. Like right. Some of the big strategic decisions and influencing a founder CEO, you know, to help the company survive, that that's a tougher job in a lot of cases. So that that's where um, a lot of the HR leaders could use some help. Yeah, because they haven't all been there, done that before either. Yeah. Well, let's let's keep going with that concept. So let's say that I've just hired my fiftieth employee, and we're you know we hit the Series A, right? And, you know, let's say I have budget for, you know, not one, but maybe two or three folks in the people or culture or, you know, whatever you want to call it, that space. Who do, who do I hire? Like, what are the skill sets that I need? And how do I make sure that I've got 
a people leader who can focus on the people as opposed to focusing all on compliance and benefits and 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 the more administrative side. Yeah, yeah. I think this is chapter nine in okay. scaling for success. There you go. I'm so asking personally. To, I'm like right flip there. the page. Yeah, whatever. 160. So chances are you've already got a couple of people working in this space by the time you hit 50 employees. Yeah. So chances are the the CEO or founding team has some sort of office manager that's doing some stuff right. in this arena. Right. Chances are you already have somebody that's doing some recruiting work. Somebody's running payroll. You know, somebody has benefits up and running. So maybe you've got a benefits broker. It's probably a good idea to be on a PEO. If you're sub 100 employees, PEO stands for Professional Employer Organization. They help you get compliant. They get you the uh, handbook and policies and they'll run your payroll. They'll, you know, great, great, great benefits, uh, cost savings as a result of being part of that pooled population. So anyway, if you're not on a PEO, think about it if you're sub 100 employees. But you probably still need some form of a generalist. That means early career, five to 10 years of experience often, not super highly comped, but uh, can, can do lots of different things. A generalist, that person would be really helpful before you start insourcing a bunch of HR because they can you know cover lots of stuff for you. When you're hiring 10 to 20 plus people a year, you should have a full-time recruiter on staff. If you're just working off the friends and family network or paying outside search firms, you're either getting really homogenous within a pretty you know, tightly defined network right. or you're paying gobs of money to mm-hmm. outside recruiters. So get, get your own recruiter or recruiters if you're hiring more than a dozen or so people a year. So that, that's early stage. Yeah. You're going to be on a PEO. You're going to you know, maybe have somebody run a payroll. They're probably sitting in accounting. You've got a recruiter. So these odds and ends or fingers and toes of a, of a full headcount may not be fully dedicated, but it comes together yeah. in a full-time headcount okay. around 50 plus around that series A. That's probably mm-hmm. where you're hiring an HR director. Once you get you know a, a decent amount of money to have a real yeah. pro come on board and they're probably more operationally focused. They'll help you transition okay. off of the PEO, run your own benefits, run your own technology, run your own, your own programs. And it takes a little while to do that. That said, what you're probably missing at that point is the been there, done that, deep experience, the design elements that will help the founder and CEO make some of those trade-off decisions. So hmm. that first HR professional director VP level, they, they can, they're really necessary, they're really valuable, but chances are they haven't been there, done that in the way that either has deep experience or can be deeply influential and credible uh, with the CEO. Right. So that that's where somebody like me often steps in and maybe you're on the board, okay. maybe you're a third-party advisor, maybe there's a small retainer mm. in place, but having some sort of advisor support, you, you don't want to go hire a really expensive in-house super senior folk right. person to do it, but having a fraction of somebody that can help guide you through some of those early design decisions can be really valuable. And that sort of advisor support can carry with you until you hit growth stage, call it right. even f- 500 plus employees. That's when you're looking at bringing on board you know, a, a pretty heavyweight uh, you know, senior leader. 
often. Okay. That's really helpful because I know you've seen this dozens, if not hundreds of times. So I'm sure that's helpful to a lot of founders listening, if not people leaders, just to understand. So is, is some of what you just described a little bit of the branding around why you call your firm Series B Consulting? I mean, is that kind of the concept of like from A to B? Uh, yes, yes and no. So I, yeah. I find that things at high growth organizations tend to get really complicated around Series B. Okay. Around Series B okay. is when you're starting to hire managers of managers, when the right. culture changes pretty dramatically, when the f- founder or founding team can no longer possibly know every single person, know what every single person is working on, have that sort of direct right. contact that you have at earlier stage. So yeah, what, once you're at Series B, things get a lot more complicated on the people front. I'm sure. I'm sure. I've rue the day that I don't know everybody and what they're doing, <laughs> but I know that's a necessary part of growth. So I'd love to talk about kind of the uniqueness of 2021 and the people strategy HR space. We just got through with an utterly unique year in 2020, but I think 2021 has completely new challenges that, you know, hybrid work and personalization of work in new and different ways, equitable treatment of employees due to some are hybrid, some are at home, et cetera. I'll stop listing things. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what do you, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing people leaders right now, June of 2021, as we record this and then through kind of the next six, 12 months? Yeah, I think number one on my list is the the quote return to the office in whatever mm-hmm. form or shape that takes place, and and organizations have some big decisions that they'll be faced with around how do you handle your existing workforce, how do you handle a, an incoming workforce as you attract and grow and and try to retain. So there, there are some equity considerations to take into account. There are talent pool, there's compensation decisions, there's people management productivity issues to, to consider. So that's the big one. It's, it's how, how do we come together? How do, we, how do we work in an environment where it's no longer decided for us, but we have to be mm-hmm. distributed? And hey, I, you know, I'll... I'll say this publicly, I I think the hybrid environment is harder than everybody in person and harder than everybody distributed. So -hmm. when you have some of the team that's in person and some of the team that's distributed, man, that's going to be really challenging. And we've probably all read some of the Apple employees' uh, complaints to Tim Cook about Apple trying to bring people back several days a week and, you know, folks don't want to come and and right. you know, organizations are going to be tested by their teams on how much do you really want and need us to come back? Because there will be some employers that allow people to be fully remote. Right, right. And those, those employers will have an attraction and retention advantage, mm-hmm. at least for a while. And so that'll, that will cause some organizations that probably prefer to have people come together in person cause them to think about how much do we really need to have them together. And, and I think there will be an increasing focus on performance management and productivity as we try okay. to work through this hybrid environment. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you think about, and again, I didn't plan to talk about this, but you mentioned productivity. 
And one thing that's interested me is this divergence of wellness and productivity where they, they, they used to be kind of correlated, right? And then in the past 12 months, they've actually been going opposed from one another. Wellness is going down while productivity is going up. That's really interesting, right? Like working at home allows you to be super productive, but maybe not necessarily as emotionally or mentally healthy as you possibly could be you know, due to a number of reasons. It's not just seeing coworkers. There's also a pandemic and, and quite a few other things going on. But curious your thoughts around that and how people leaders need to address this performance management side and kind of weigh that out with the well-being side. You know, what how, how does that yeah, work out? Yeah. Hey, that that's a that's a challenge. That that's real. So I, I, for one, really appreciate that there's broader awareness of mm-hmm. mental health, burnout. We've been talking about work-life balance for decades, right? Work-life balance mm-hmm. has, has been a thing. And so many organizations went down the path of, hey, it's actually work-life integration. We're kind of doing mm-hmm. work and life at the same time all the time. Anyway, with our mobile devices and in the cloud and that right. sort of thing, and sure, and you know that that makes it incumbent upon the individual to meter themselves, right? And some employers are trying to do some things, and I think we've all heard about or or lived through some awkward experiments of no meeting Fridays or you know we, yeah. weird weird ploys that usually don't work. Like ultimately, my personal and professional opinion is that individuals will need to monitor that themselves. What works for you? Mm-hmm. If you can't right. turn yourself off, then you've got to make a choice about where you're working, who you're working with, who you're working for, that sort of thing. And and attempts for organizations to do something on a broad base are mm-hmm. generally doomed to fail, right? The one-size-fits-all right. approach across dozens or hundreds or even thousands of employees, that, that stuff, it's just not realistic to try to put constraints on how work is done. So yeah. if, if you get the broad strokes right around, we want to be a good employer. We want this to be a reasonable place to work with high performance expectations and high output. And let, let's be clear about what we want and expect from people. And managers have regular one-on-ones that are giving people feedback around like things are going well or they're not going well. Those are the right. basics. Those are very clearly the basics. Ensure good two-way communication going between you know, managers and the people that work for them. Ensure that your priorities are super clear at the top of the house. Any sort of flavor of the month, you know, interesting programs and processes, I think are just it's just window dressing where you got to have the the stronger mm-hmm. foundation in place of a of a healthy organization. Yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense. Makes sense with any any group of people, any team, any relationship, any marriage, it's all about the strong foundation, yeah. right? You, you can't just put lipstick on a pig, as, as we say in the South. Last question for you, with all the, the many things you're doing, so you're, you're writing, you're coaching, you're obviously being on podcasts, <laughs> which I appreciate. You've got the accelerator going on, you're advising for people tech. Uh, and for Simperverance, and I'm really familiar with both yeah. of those, what is the common thread that keeps coming up? Like you're in all these different meetings, all these different conversations, different companies like mine and others. What's the core that companies are trying to address? And what's the core need that employees are expressing? Like what, 
what's the squeaky wheel that you're hearing about in 2021? What's the squeaky wheel in 2021? Well, it's I think it's the remote work and the you know the return to the yeah. office. That's the most common thing that I'm hearing about. The, the thread throughout all my various endeavors is is people management and more yeah. successful human resources management. We can we can argue about the term. Is it human resources, human capital, sure. blah, blah, blah. We, we try to rebrand ourselves every couple of years, right? Yeah, um, yeah but it's, it's about how to help organizations, companies be successful. And there's this mm. dedicated role and function, usually called human resources. And what can we do to help those organizations and their teams be as successful as possible? And so that that's mm. where I do my advising and mentoring and the exec ed and the book. It's it's all around, hey, figure out how to design the menu versus just take the order and deliver, you know, here's your burger and fries. You can be a great server, Mm -hmm. but it's a higher value offering if you're designing the experience and you're figuring out what should be on the menu. So maybe that's a fast food analogy that doesn't fit perfectly, but um, I think think the human resources professionals in the audience and, and in the world have a real opportunity to think about unique contribution for their organization right now, what fits for them. You're the expert, just like the CFO and controller right. knows accounting and you know, GC knows legal and, and compliance. We should be really deeply steeped in people management practices and be able mm-hmm. to articulate pretty clearly. Here are some frameworks, here's some decision points, here's some trade-offs. And not just adopt whatever best practice we've heard about over the weekend or get swept away and in some bright, shiny object idea. Right. I love it. I love it. It's I I couldn't agree more. You know, I think I think for whatever reason, we still as a society tend to undervalue EQ and understanding emotion, understanding people and what they need and overvalue data and the bottom line and et cetera, et cetera. And I, I don't know what that's about, but. Um, but yeah, I think people leaders, I couldn't agree more, just have such a valuable role if they realize that. Well, and then again, they have to have a CEO that has their ears open and like really wants to learn and, you know, love on their people in the same way that that HR leader does. So gosh, Andrew, I, I could talk to you for another hour easily. Um, really, really enjoyed it, being able to interview you and learn from you. When is, very last thing, when is the next time um, that you're going to have an accelerator program? When can people that are listening kind of sign up and get involved? Great. Great. Well, um, people can express interest and apply to the program anytime. Okay. We just closed applications for our mid-July cohort. Okay. So that'll run through the back half of this year that the next program should kick off in the middle of January. Okay. So we, uh, we, we have a pretty intensive application and interview process to make sure that it's a great fit for the people that are interested in in joining it. It's, you know, a lot of it's about the experience, not just the content, not just the faculty, but uh, making sure it's a great fit for folks. So if you're interested in learning more about it, go to peopleleaderaccelerator.com, email hello at peopleleaderaccelerator.com and would would love to chat about, uh, about the program and see if it's a good fit. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thanks everybody for listening. Again, this has been Andrew Bartlow and we've been learning about how to build HR teams in the midst of hyper growth and and rapid change. So thanks all for listening and we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye.